Welcome to this special edition of the New Stack Makers on the Road. We're here in KubeCon, North America, and Detroit Rock City! Discussions from the show floor with technologists giving you their expertise and insights to help you with your everyday work. Amazon Web Services is the world's most comprehensive and broadly adopted cloud platform, offering over 175 fully featured services from data centers globally. Millions of customers trust AWS to power their infrastructure, become more agile, and lower costs. Hey everyone, we're on the show floor at KubeCon doing a few interviews and my first guest is Madeline Olson, software engineer at Amazon Web Services. How are you doing? I'm doing great, it's exciting to be here. Good, I'm going to just try to pull up my notes here because I did have some questions that I want to make sure that I get to. And first though, tell me about Madeline. Like, what is your background? What is your focus kind of here at an event like this? What kind of technologies are you working on? I know you work on Redis, but I think it's a little more broader than that related to the cloud native applications. Yeah, sure. So my main job at the moment is I am a principal engineer at Amazon Web Services, and I'm also a maintainer of the Redis open source project. And I'm here today to talk more about how Redis can be used in the broader cloud native ecosystem. A lot of people think of Redis as just a cache. I'm hoping to show how there are various other ways that Redis fits into many service-oriented architectures and help simplify the deployment and development of modern applications. So tell us a few ways that Redis does fit and will those be discussions you'll have here? Sure, so as I said, the main use case for Redis is as a cache. Right. So people have a primary backend database or some other workload that takes a long time to run and so they store the intermediary results in Redis. Okay. So you can get with lower latency and higher throughput. So the whole idea here is that Redis is often deployed in a non-durable way. Okay. But there are plenty of other ways you can use Redis in that non-durable way. One common way is what I like to call a data projection API. So you basically take a bunch of different sources of data, maybe you know a Postgres database or some other type of Cassandra database, and you project that data into Redis, and then you just pull from the Redis instance. And if the data is not there, you know you throw a fault to customers. This is a really great use case for low latency applications, where if the data is not there, it's sort of the same as you know maybe a timeout. Another great use case I want to talk about, which is specific to the talk I will be doing later, is basically as a message broker. So most people want a durable message broker, but there's a lot of great use cases for an ephemeral message broker. And again, it really ties back to the whole like low latency aspect of Redis. So if you're building an application that, and if an event is late, it's basically the same if it was lost altogether, which is the perfect use case for Redis. So I also want to highlight the fact that Redis can also be used in a durable configuration, which is a little bit less common. Most people don't think of Redis that way. It makes very non-ideal trade-offs for Redis. A lot of people think of Redis as low latency, adding durability slows it down a bit. But Redis can then still provide very low latency reads. So the right path gets slowed down kind of to a similar throughput and latency as a traditional database, but you get really low latency reads. So it's still great for that message broker use case I talked about a second ago, where you basically want to have all your applications talking together by passing messages to each other, and you can use Redis for this use case. And so that's also part of the talk I'll be doing later this conference as well. Low latency is a topic of interest among a lot of developers. What are some of the hurdles you're seeing people have with low latency applications? The big hurdles I've seen in both while working at AWS, which we care a lot about low latency, as well as within the Redis community, 
is that it's very easy to build sort of an unstable application. You know, it's really hard to get all the configurations right. Like if, you know, anything goes wrong in your application, all of a sudden latency starts spiking up, either because a node dies or maybe some other part of your application slows down a little bit, you start seeing cascading failures kind of throughout the system. So what's really hard to do right, but really important, is building data resiliency and making sure that you know, even if something fails, the rest of the application continues working. Mm. So that's something I'll talk a little bit in my talk and something that I really think you know, AWS as a whole can bring to the conversation because we you know, are the largest cloud IT vendor and we've really learned a lot of these lessons about how to make sure applications stay running and stay resilient. Okay, so you're pretty deeply involved in the Redis community. How did you get involved? What advice would you give to people who are new to open source projects or maybe even have been in existing open source projects but are starting to branch out a little bit. There's this whole kind of talk about chop wood, carry water, for example. Yeah, so I joined sort of an interesting project. So I joined a project that was originally led by a single individual. Uh, his name was Salvatore Sanfilippo, and he was the original creator of Redis. And he was the only maintainer, he was the only one with write permissions to the project. And so that type of project really requires a lot of engagement to, to get this person responding you know, to you, right? Salvatore you know, had his vision of the project, and he really liked focusing on the feature part. And so the main role that I played sort of getting into it was I was doing, as you said, I was chopping wood and carrying water, helping you know, fix small bugs, improve documentation, fixing small issues, re creating reproductions for issues. And that really helped the maintainer sort of help scale himself a little bit, and it helped me get involved in the project. A lot of the work I was doing was based on my experience at AWS. So I had a little bit of like a freebie to get into the project because the service I worked for was, was extensively using Redis. But I always recommend that if someone, if you're using an open source project, like that's usually the best place to get involved, right? It's very daunting to get into open source development work. It's very easy for people to like see these you know, open source developers as like they know a lot more than you and they're kind of afraid to open issues. But if you have a real use case and like you have an issue, like just opening issues, documenting reproductions, and if you have a bug, just like trying to fix it, most open source maintainers are really willing to help, you know, help you learn, help kind of give you the right nudge so that you, you can help fix the problem. One big problem throughout open source is they're usually resource constrained, right? Open source is oftentimes a lot of volunteers, so they're usually very willing to get more people to help with the project. I read this blog post by Matt Assay, mm. and I really found it interesting about your work in the Redis community. And the, the focus of the story was about the PR you made for transport layer security. I, I love to hear that story because it talks a lot about how you essentially through your context and understanding and hard work provided you with a role in the community that has, I think, done a lot for both you and for the people who are part of it. Yeah, so the context here is I was involved in helping add transport layer security to our managed service. And what uh, is that, just for people who might uh, not Elastic know? Ash and MemoryDB yeah. for okay. Amazon. So at those two services, we had transport layer security, TLS, and it was built sort of natively into our service. And it was a really common ask from the community as well. And as I mentioned, the, the maintainer of Redis at the time, Salvatore, thought it was too complex to really add into the project. And so he had, it had been a request you know, long before we implemented it. And he had always pushed back kind of on that complexity part. And so I actually just tried to take our implementation and just create a PR and just throw it into the community. Be like, hey, here's our implementation. You know, will you accept it? And the answer was no, it's still too complex. 
And I think a lot of places and a lot of companies would have kind of said, well, we did our job, we have a pull request, you know, we've put into the into the live, let's let's call that done. But I think we could have done better. So what I did is we actually went to the Redis conference, annual conference, um, Redis Conf. And, you know, I talked to Salvatore and tried to, you know, walk through, like, why this is the right solution. And he sort of talked through, like, oh, here are all this other stuff that, I, you know, I think would be a better solution, but I don't have time because I don't think it's important. I was like, that's fine. Let me, let me do all that work. Let me prototype all of this. Let me show that our solution is still the best one. So I think one of the most important things I did at that point was I created a Slack channel for Redis developers, okay. which is like, a little thing, but it it's a little be thing, very useful. It's so important because at that point, we had all we had was GitHub. Yeah. And, you know, it's not a great channel for synchronous communication. Right. And from there, we set up a monthly sync to be like, hey, like, here are the big things that are working on. Here's how we want to, you know, here's what we learned. And from there, I took what he wanted to do, his prototype, and I built it all out and showed that the main problem with it is it was, it was much less performant than the original one. But, and so he was like, okay, fine, let's go back to the original implementation. And at that point, someone else that joined the community, the development community channel was like, hey, I actually have a slight tweak of the original implementation that actually kind of solves a lot of the problems Salvatore was concerned about. So at that point, we were like, okay. So we sort of tweaked the original implementation to kind of be a little bit more abstract, uh, have a, a, like a layer of abstraction away sort of like all of the networking handling. And Salvatore was like, okay, this is probably good enough. And it got accepted. And then it you know, came out in Redis 6. It's kind of the story. And it's like, it really emphasizes that there's a lot more to do to get you know, major changes in projects besides just writing the code. It's you know, building consensus, you know, making sure we have community, making sure everyone's kind of like engaged, and like getting a diverse set of viewpoints, which will help solve the problem. What did you learn about yourself through that process? And who did you go to to find perspective and such? The thing I learned about myself, which I guess was less common in developers than I thought, is I'm very patient. So the whole process through this PR took almost two years. Yeah. And the whole time I was kind of just, you know, plugging along. When I had time, I would work on it. And, you know, throughout the rest of me, a lot of people were just kind of like, eh, it's not worth it. But sometimes things in our, like, fast-moving industry, like, a lot of people want things to be done now. And, like, a lot of times, like, to get something really done, you have to be slow, you have to be methodical, and you have to sort of slow down and make it happen. So has that helped with continuing complexities that you're facing with Redis? What are some of those continuing complexities that you're facing now? You mentioned low latency. In the Redis community, is that a topic of interest? Yeah, so, so we actually had a change of governance. So Salvatore actually stepped down two years ago and we have a new governing body um, of which I am now a part of. And that, that body sort of came about from this you know, Slack group that we created. And this new group really instills those ideas of like there's a lot of hard problems that Redis needs to solve. Redis was built really for like the 2010s, right? It was focused right. on caching. It was focused on like the burgeoning web. And it was never really built for cloud native development, right? Like how do you build Redis effectively into a ecosystem? How do you really get Redis to be stable and like maintain replication? Redis was really built in this world where an operator would come in and individually tune every node. Whereas nowadays, a lot of people expect to deploy it through you know pods and Kubernetes and like just be able to scale out their deployments so to have multiple nodes and it to just be configured automatically. So those types of problems we're really kind of trying to solve now. Because a lot of people, one issue we've seen, I've seen personally a lot, is Res has this deployment called cluster mode, which allows sharding of data. And we've seen a lot of issues where people just don't get it right, and it ends up just completely breaking. And if your cache fails in your application, your whole application can go down. This is common when you, know, you have a cache and, if, uh, and you, you don't scale your backend database enough to withstand all the traffic. So if the cache goes down, the database just like, gets overwhelmed and 
rounds out. So really making Redis a hardened, production-ready mm. system is, I think, a big problem that the community faces today. Also, this continuing pressure that Redis architecture was built 10 years ago. Right. So a lot of development has happened in both you know, CPU architecture, kernel architecture. There's a lot of better ways that we could build Redis to be more scalable, higher throughput more efficient per core. And we see some other databases starting to innovate in this area and building new technologies. And we really need to make sure that we're staying on the cutting edge here. Because Redis, as I said, it's high throughput, low latency. So if there's other faster databases that do the same thing, people will start using them. How have you been at AWS? I've been at AWS seven and a half years. How would you compare AWS seven and a half years ago to three years ago or you know, to today in terms of the open source focus? So it's fundamentally different from when I joined back in 2015. When I joined, open source like wasn't even on our radar. We inherited a lot from this belief that in order to best serve our customers, we'd retain all of our IP and we'd build like sort of the best cloud services in the world. A couple years ago, it started to become more apparent that customers don't like building against proprietary APIs. They like building against industry standard, open source. And that's why Redis really picked off. And that's why the managed Elasticast service I worked on really succeeded and did very well. But still, at the time, we were very focused on, oh, well, we'll just build a proprietary API, like extensions on top of it, and keep it all to ourselves. And that was sort of our thinking, maybe in like 2018, 2019. And around that time, there was a pretty big paradigm shift where we started to realize that, well, what really differentiates us is we're managing the application on behalf of customers. So our differentiation is really in our control plane, in our compliance guarantees, in our security, our best practices, and not so much in the fact that there's an open source database there. Like we really want customers to use these open source databases to you know, do dev tests, and then sort of once they've productionized to start using our managed services. So at that point, it became kind of very clear that it's actually in our best interest of our customers to just push everything to open source. I think the best example, when I started contributing to Redis back in 2018, every single contribution I made, I had to go through a lawyer. I had to make a ticket in our internal ticketing system to sort of tell people you know, what we're doing, get approval for it. And now it's just like it's almost the opposite, where it's like, hey, if you want to keep something internal, like you have to justify it. We're not, we don't, we don't need that internal like differentiation. We want, we want open source Redis to be like the important part and us to just be the managed service on top of it. Madeline, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. I've learned so much about Redis and its background and how it's changing and adapting and your role in the community. So thank you. Yeah, it was delightful talking to you, Alex. Amazon Web Services is the world's most comprehensive and broadly adopted cloud platform, offering over 175 fully featured services from data centers globally. Millions of customers trust AWS to power their infrastructure, become more agile, and lower costs. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's one of the best ways you can help us grow this community, and we really appreciate your feedback. You can find the full video version of this episode on YouTube, search for the new stack, and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss any new videos. Thanks for joining us, and see you soon.